Nehemiah, the 13th chapter. Nehemiah chapter 13 in your Old Testament. You know, while majoring in communications, radio and television, while attending Stephen F. Austin State University in East Texas, one of the names that my professors would bring up quite often is the name Paul Harvey. Many of you know who Paul Harvey is, right? Remember, Paul Harvey was a popular radio broadcaster for several years. He was especially known for his Rest of the Story broadcast. Remember, the Rest of the Story broadcast consisted of stories that were that contain little-known facts about famous people or events with the most interesting aspect of the story saved for the end. At the end of the story, then you would find out that the entire time Paul Harvey had been talking about Elvis Presley or John Wayne or Clint Eastwood or a president or famous military leader. The rest of the story broadcast were designed to help people learn more about things that they may have already thought that they knew very well. I really like that technique that Paul Harvey used in those broadcasts because it reminds me of Nehemiah chapter 13. As Paul Harvey would say, Nehemiah chapter 13 is designed to give us the rest of the story. It's designed to give us the rest of Nehemiah's story. Now I'm pretty sure that for the vast majority of you here this morning, you're already pretty familiar with the basic elements of Nehemiah's story. I'm pretty sure that most of you know that Nehemiah is one of the greatest leaders that we can read about in the Bible. Many of you know that as the cupbearer for the king of Persia, Nehemiah requested permission from the king to go back to the city of Jerusalem and help his people, the Jewish people, rebuild the walls of their city. Many of you know that despite intense opposition, Nehemiah was able to get the job done. Nehemiah was able to stay focused, and he inspired the people, and he organized them, and he led them to rebuilding those walls in a mere 52 days. That is information that the vast majority of us here this morning know, and we know very well, but the question is, what's the rest of the story? What's the rest of Nehemiah's story? What happened to Nehemiah after he led this great rebuilding project? Well, again, that brings us to Nehemiah, the 13th chapter, and the context here. In the context of Nehemiah chapter 13, we need to understand that we are reading about, we're reading about Nehemiah's return. We're reading about Nehemiah's return to the city of Jerusalem after being gone for a period of time. You see, after spending about 12 years laboring among the people of God, eventually Nehemiah, Nehemiah had to go back to work. Nehemiah had to return to his job. As the cupbearer for the king of Persia, he couldn't be gone forever. Now, we don't know exactly how long he returned back to his job, but what we do know is when he eventually returned back to the city of Jerusalem to see how his people were doing, well, he didn't like what he saw. 
He didn't like what he saw at all. And to really be able to appreciate that, we need to say some things about Nehemiah chapters 8, 9, and 10. We need to say some things about Nehemiah chapter 8, 9, and 10. Those are critical chapters in the book of Nehemiah. You see, in those chapters, we learn that in addition to helping physically restore the people of Jerusalem, Nehemiah also, he also helped restore them spiritually. He also helped revive them spiritually, both he and the scribe Ezra motivated them to get excited about the word of God again. We can read about that in Nehemiah chapter 8, when as the people are gathered in front of the water gate, Ezra, the scribe, he stands before them and he reads the word of God to them for several hours. Nehemiah and Ezra helped the people get excited about the word of God again. And this led them to observing the feast of booths again. And it led them to confessing their sins before God. And according to Nehemiah chapter 10, it led the people to promising God that they were going to do better. They were going to be different. No longer would they engage in the same kind of sinful stuff that got them sent off into captivity in the first place. The people promised God in Nehemiah chapter 10 that they were going to do better. In fact, they wrote those promises down on paper and had their leaders sign the document. That's how serious they said they were about doing better for God. And so this happened before Nehemiah returned back to his job as the cupbearer, but when he comes back again several years later to see how they're doing. In Nehemiah 13 and verse 4, the Bible says, Now prior to this, Elisha, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, being related to Tobiah, had prepared a large room for him, where formerly they put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the utensils, and the, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. But during all that time, I was not in Jerusalem. For the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had gone to the king. After some time, however, I asked leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and learned about the evil that Elisha had done for Tobiah by preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. It was very displeasing to me. So I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Then I gave an order and they cleansed the rooms and I returned there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them. So the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. So I reprimanded the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together and restored them to their post. All Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. In charge of the storehouses, I appointed Shemaiah, the priest, Zadok, the scribe, and Padiah, the Levites. In addition to them was Mataniah, for they were considered reliable, and it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. Remember me for this, O oh my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. In those days I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kind of loads. 
and they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I admonished them on the day they sold food. Also men of Tyre were living there who imported fish and all kinds of merchandise and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. Then I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing you're doing by profaning the Sabbath? Did not your fathers do the same so that our God brought on us and on this city all this trouble? Yet you're adding to the wrath of Israel by profaning the Sabbath. It came about that just as it grew dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and they should not open them until after the Sabbath. Then I stationed some of my servants at the gates so that no load would enter on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the traders and the merchants of every kind of merchandise spent the night outside Jerusalem. Then I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do so again, I will use force against you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites and they, that they should purify themselves and come as gatekeepers to sanctify the Sabbath day. For this also remember me, O my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. In those days I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. As for their children, have spoke the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. So I contended with them and cursed them, and struck some of them, and pulled out their hair, and made them swear by God, you shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take of their daughters for your own sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin regarding these things? Yet among the many nations there was no king like him, and he was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, the foreign women caused even him to sin. Do we then hear about you that you've committed all this great evil by acting unfaithfully against our God, by marrying foreign women? Even one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Samballot, the Horonite. So I drove him away from me. Remember me, O oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I purified them from everything foreign and appointed duties for the priests and the Levites each in his task, and I arranged for the supply of wood at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. Now, that's a lengthy reading right there. Sometimes, sometimes we need to do that. We need to have lengthy readings from God's word in our public assemblies. And I want you to really take a moment to let that soak in. Let what the Holy Spirit says soak in your heart for just a moment. Do you see? Do you see how awful this situation is? Do you see how dreadful this situation is? Do you see how disturbing this scene is that Nehemiah sees once he returns to the city of Jerusalem? The Bible says that after being gone for a period of time, when Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem, he saw that the people were neglecting the temple. They were neglecting the house of God. They were neglecting taking care of the priest of God. In fact, when it came to the priest, the Bible says that the priests were being neglected so much financially that they had to return to work in the fields. Another way we could say that is they had to get a job. They had to go and work to provide for themselves because the people were not giving them the rightful portion of the money that God had prescribed. They had neglected the temple. They had neglected the workers of the temple. 
And they also, they also had neglected the Sabbath. They had neglected to keep the Sabbath. They were not keeping the Sabbath. They were not honoring it as a day of rest and spiritual rejuvenation as God had ordained. Instead of keeping the Sabbath like God had commanded, the scripture says they were working on the Sabbath. They were buying, they were selling, they were engaging in business with foreigners. They were putting, making money above keeping a commandment of God. They were neglecting the temple, neglecting the priests, neglecting the Sabbath, and they also were failing to keep away from the heathens. They were also failing to keep away from women who were not part of the people of Israel. The scripture says that they were intermarrying with foreign women. They were having children with foreign women. They were risking losing their identity as a separate, holy, and distinct people unto God who would bring the Messiah into the world. In fact, this problem was so bad, it was so severe, that the Bible also tells us that the house of the high priest was involved in it. Elisha, the high priest, his family was involved in being connected or intermarried with the heathens. In verse 4, we learn that some of the high priest's family was married into the family of Tobiah. That's Tobiah the Ammonite. That's the same Tobiah who was a big stumbling block to Nehemiah when he was trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Some of the high priest's family members were married into the family of Tobiah. And then in verse number 28, we learn that some of his household was also married into the family of Samballot. That's the same Samballot who also was a stumbling block to Nehemiah when he was trying to lead the people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The house of the high priest was involved in intermarriage with foreigners. They were marrying into the family of Tobiah. They were marrying into the family of Samballot. In fact, when it came to Tobiah, do you remember where the Bible says he was staying when Nehemiah came back? Remember, the Bible says that Tobiah was actually staying in the temple. He actually had a prepared room in the temple of God. Elisha had made him an apartment in the house of God. You know what that means? That means that Tobiah was now living inside the very walls that he didn't want to see rebuilt. What I just want you to see is after being gone for a period of time, when Nehemiah comes back, he finds some ugly stuff. He finds God's people in some horrible conditions again. They may have their walls rebuilt, but they're not keeping the promises they made to God. They're not keeping the vows that they made to their heavenly father. They are breaking every promise they've made to God. And the question is, what is Nehemiah going to do? What is Nehemiah going to do about this ugly situation that he sees when he returns to Jerusalem? Well, there are at least three things, at least three things Nehemiah is going to do about this very discouraging situation. And the first thing is this. The first thing he's going to do is he going to, he's going to express some concern. He is deeply concerned about this situation, just like he wept and mourned and cried and fasted when he learned about the walls of Jerusalem still being in ruin, Nehemiah 
is also deeply concerned about the spiritual ruins among God's people at this time. In Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse number eight, when he learned about Tobiah living in the temple of God, the Bible doesn't just say that this was displeasing to Nehemiah, but it says that this was very displeasing to Nehemiah. While the high priest may not have viewed Tobiah living in the temple as a big deal, Nehemiah did. Nehemiah viewed this as a very big deal. He's upset about this. He is furious about this. He is displeased with the fact that a fierce opponent and enemy of God's people is living in the very house of God. His attitude reminds me of Jesus in John chapter 2, doesn't it? Remember when Jesus walked into the temple in John chapter 2 and he saw these corrupt religious leaders turning the temple of God into a literal religious flea market. They had turned the father's house into a corrupt place of business. Remember when Jesus saw that, he, he wasn't indifferent about that. He, he didn't turn a blind eye to that. He didn't say, well, you know, that's not really a big deal. No, Jesus, Jesus, the Bible says, was angry about that. He was indignant about that. He was emotionally invested in that situation. That's what you got going on with Nehemiah here. Nehemiah is upset about what he sees among the people of God at this time. The question is, is what about us? What about us this morning as we gather together as God's people in this place, like Jesus and like Nehemiah, are we also emotionally invested in the cause of God? Are we also emotionally invested in the work of God and in the people of God? Are we emotionally invested in the spiritual condition of God's people and God's work? Does that describe us? When we learn of someone in this church who falls away, and it happens without exception every single year in every church, when we learn of that happening here, does that hurt us? Does that cut us deep? Does that cause us to lose some sleep at night? When we learn of a young person in this church who goes off to college and maybe loses their faith, maybe they become an atheist or an agnostic, does that bring us to tears? Does that cause us to weep? Does that bring in us some pain that is just indescribable when we learn about the leadership void that is in the church as a whole today? Does that cause us to express both, thank, both thanksgiving over the fact that we have wonderful leadership in this place? We have wonderful men who are shepherding our soul. Are we thankful that we don't have that problem here while at the same time, do we also have some concern about the future or a future where maybe we don't have those kind of men leading us in this place anymore? And when we look around and consider how there are still members of this congregation who have not sat in one of these pews in two years to worship God. Does that cause us to have some concern even a little bit? Does that cause us to worry a little bit? Does that even cause us to worry a little bit about where those folks are spiritually right now? 
Let me tell you something. If Nehemiah was a member of our congregation today, if he was a member of this church, he would be concerned about that kind of stuff. Nehemiah wasn't indifferent about the spiritual status of God's people. He wasn't indifferent about God's work and God's people. He expressed great concern when he saw God's people not doing the kind of things that God had prescribed them to do. He is very concerned about this situation, but not only is he concerned about it, secondly, he also prays about it, doesn't he? He talks to God about it. Verse number 14, he says, remember me, oh my God. Verse 22, remember me, oh my God. Verse number 29, remember me, oh my God. Remember them, oh my God. The last verse of the, of the, of the chapter, remember me, oh my God, for good. It shouldn't surprise us to see Nehemiah doing this right. It shouldn't surprise us to see Nehemiah praying all the time in the last chapter of this book. That's what he does all throughout the book, right? I mean, throughout, all throughout the book of Nehemiah, what do we find Nehemiah doing more than anything else? We find him praying. We find him praying. We find him praying. And we find him praying some more. Real quick, Nehemiah 1 and verse 4. Real fast, Nehemiah 1 and verse 4. Once Nehemiah finds out about the condition of the city of Jerusalem, how the walls were still in ruin, he says, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and, and praying before the God of heaven before asking for permission to go back to Jerusalem and lead this rebuilding project. In Nehemiah 2 and verse 4, he says, before going to the king and asking the king for permission, I pray to the God of heaven. In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse number 9, when he's facing persecution from people like Sambalat and Tobiah, while he's trying to lead this effort, in Nehemiah 4 and verse 9, he says, But we pray to our God, and because of them we set up a guard against them night and day. In Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 14, in Nehemiah 6 and verse 14, Remember me, O my God, Tobiah and Sambalat, according to these works of theirs. Notice how, in addition to being a book about a man who had a great heart and great faith and who was a great leader, the book of Nehemiah is also about a man who had a great prayer life. This man had a wonderful prayer life. This man knew how to talk to God. He knew how to talk to God about the right kinds of things. He prayed about God's work and God's people, and he constantly asked God to bless him and his people as they did his work together. That's the kind of stuff that Nehemiah prayed for in this book. The question is, is what are you praying for? What are you praying about in your daily life every single day? In addition to praying for the physically sick. And in addition to praying for your own physical needs, do you also pray about spiritual things? Do you pray about spiritual things every day? Do you pray about spiritual problems? Do you pray about the spiritual problems that you see plaguing the people of God today? Do you pray for the weak Christians? Do you pray for them to get stronger? Do you pray for them to mature? Do you pray for the prodigal, the prodigal children among us? Do you pray they will return? Do you pray for more elders in the church? Do you pray for more deacons in the church? Do you pray for more preachers in the church? Because there is a huge preacher shortage right now in the church. Do you pray for the young people? 
Do you get up every single day asking God to please be with these young people? Because they are waging a serious and fierce battle against the devil today. Do you pray that none of them will become atheists? And agnostic and get wrapped up in this feel good religion that so many of them are getting wrapped up into today. Do you pray for their parents? Do you pray every day for all the, the parents here that they can raise their children in the ways of God? Do you pray for the people among us who are married to people who are not Christians? Do you pray that their righteous example at some point can inspire their unbelieving spouses to at least consider what the word of God has to say? Do you pray for all these lost people who are walking up and down the street today? Do you pray that hopefully one day they will notice our building and come in here among us for the right reason? Not to get a handout, not to get some money, but to get the word of God to learn the scriptures, to set up some Bible studies so we can study with them about the truth. You see, that's the kind of stuff Nehemiah prayed about. Nehemiah prayed about the right kinds of things. He prayed about spiritual problems that he observed going on among the people of God, and that's what we have to do. Nehemiah, when he saw this mess, when he saw this mess, he had concern about it. He prayed about it, but then thoroughly, very quickly, let's point this out. Let's also point out that he, he did some about it. He took some action. He stepped up to the plate, and he did something about the spiritual problems, just like he had the courage and the zeal and the faith to step up and lead that effort to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem where here Nehemiah also had the courage, the zeal, and the faith to step up and help clean up this spiritual mess taking a place among God's people. He had the courage and the faith and the zeal to take all Tobiah's stuff, to get Tobiah and all his stuff and get it out the temple. Tobiah may not have wanted to go back to his own country, but Nehemiah said, you're not staying here anymore. You're out of here. Nehemiah evicted Tobiah. Did you notice that? He kicked this man out of the temple. He also reprimanded the people for not taking care of the priest. And he restored the priests to their post and he forced the people to begin tithing and providing for these great servants of God so they wouldn't have to be working out in the field. Nehemiah urged the people to get serious about taking care of the temple and taking care of the priest. And he also rebuked the people for failing to keep the Sabbath. He rebuked them for, keeping, for not keeping the Sabbath. And he even stationed some servants to be in front of the gates so that the merchants would stay out on the Sabbath. He commanded the gates to be closed. He said no more business on the Sabbath. No more buying, no more selling, no more dealing with foreigners. He told these foreigners, if you come in here on the Sabbath, we're going to have some problems. It's time to get serious about the Sabbath. And when it came to intermarrying with foreigners, Nehemiah cleaned that mess up too. He rebuked the people for intermarrying with foreigners, and he reminded them of Solomon. He reminded them of how being married to heathen foreign women, that's what got him in trouble. 
That's what led even a wise man like him down a path of idolatry. He says you need to learn from Solomon. You're on the path of Solomon right now. And did you notice the part where it says that he grabbed people's hair? That's not figurative language. That's literal. He grabbed people's hair. He took hold of them and said, stop this mess. Promise you're not going to do this anymore. Nehemiah was a serious man, wasn't he? He didn't play any games with these people. And you remember that guy, Sam Ballot? Remember him? Who was also an enemy of God's people like Tobiah was? You think Nehemiah let him get away? No, Nehemiah drove him away too. Nehemiah said, you got to get out of here. He kicked Sam Ballot out of Israel as well. You see, like Jesus, when Jesus noticed the temple being abused in his time, Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a man of action. Nehemiah was a man who did stuff. Nehemiah was a man who stepped up and he did something about spiritual messes. The question is, is are we like him? Are we like Nehemiah? Are we like him when we notice spiritual messes in addition to being concerned about the messes and praying about the messes? Like Nehemiah, do we do something about the messes? Do we actively seek to win back the people who fall away? Are we actively trying to do that right now? Do we actively check on the new converts? Do we reach out to them to see how they're doing, to see what we can do for them, to help them get grounded in the faith? Do we reach out to those who are hit and missed to the worship assembly? Do we reach out to them during the week to see, okay, what's your problem right now? What can I do to help you get stronger and more serious about worshiping God? And for the young men who are among us right now, are you right now, right now, not when you turn 50 or 60, are you right now in your 20s and 30s preparing to be a future leader in this church? Are you right now with your family working together to meet those qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus chapter 1 so that this church will always, always have qualified leadership? And if we currently, if we currently have sin in our lives, are we dealing with that? Are we dealing with our own sin, honestly? And directly, are we currently cutting those things out of our lives that are hindering us from being the kind of people that God has called us to be? If Nehemiah was among us and a member of this church today, that is exactly the kind of stuff he would be doing. Nehemiah was a man of action. Nehemiah was a man who didn't just talk to talk. But he walked the walk even after helping God's people rebuild the walls of their city because of their failure to keep their promises. When he returned, you know what he did? The Bible says he kept on working. He kept on building. He kept on rebuilding. He kept on rebuilding God's people spiritually. That's the rest of his story. The rest of his story is about continuing to help God's people rebuild spiritually. In fact, maybe that's what you need this morning. 
Maybe like these people here in Nehemiah's time, maybe you need some spiritual restoration. Maybe you need to let God come into your life so he can go to work and build you into becoming the kind of person that he has called you to be. If that's what you need, then we're going to have some time for you to make that right even this morning. Whether it's obeying the gospel for the first time by believing in Jesus and repenting of your sins and being baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Or if you're a Christian and you're not living right, you've broken promises to God if you need to repent and ask us to help you, to help you in your spiritual life. We'll be more than happy to pray for you and help you this morning. If there's any spiritual needs you might have, then come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together. Uh,